are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. Across the cultures that have emerged from the Proto-Indo-European and the Indo-European people, we can find similarities which speak to an unrecorded time in history, which serves as a foundation for many languages and myths right up into the modern day. We know little of these people, even their homeland is in dispute, but through comparative linguistics and mythology, it is possible to start forming some idea of who these people were and what was important to them. One of the proposed founding myths of these people, which can be found in mythologies across the Eurasian landmass, is that of the Earth Mother and Sky Father. While subsequent iterations of multiple cultures have added more gods as human beings have become more sophisticated and society and culture has changed, we can be pretty sure that Earth Mother and Sky Father are possibly part of the first mythologies or beliefs of the people who are our cultural and linguistic ancestors. Nowhere is the myth more bloody than in Greece, where Gaia, the Earth Mother, anguished that her husband Uranus had hidden their children from her. She had one of her children ambush and castrate him. Casting his severed member aside, the blood and semen of which bore a collection of mythic children. It is an extreme form of revenge, and the fact that the son castrates the father creates a layer of meaning to it, which may be hidden by the mists of time, but also is ripe to be interpreted anew for each age. The bond between father and son is a complex one, and having never been either a father or a son, I do not fully understand it. But I assume much like mothers and daughters, it is somewhat about moulding and then surpassing and or rejecting. And all the conflict and struggles that those modes of relating to another reveal. Nowhere is the bond between parent and child more painful than that when a parent has committed some of the worst crimes imaginable. In Happy Face, Melissa Moore recounts with searing honesty the tortuous shadow her father, Keith Jasperson, has cast on her life by his serial killings. Others like Kerry Rader, daughter of Dennis Rader, Mae West, daughter of Rose West, and Sarah Turney, daughter of Michael Turney, have all spoken openly and honestly about what it's like to have as your father or mother someone who has done what many people would consider unthinkable. There have not been quite so many sons speaking out about killer fathers. It's not possible to know in each case the reason why, but possibly the fact that gender differences mean that women are often more comfortable speaking about deeply personal matters, especially when they feel that others can benefit from it may be somewhat where the difference comes in. There could also 
be other intertwining reasons, a desire to not let the offending father come to define your life, a wish to stay out of the public eye for fear of retribution, a desire to protect your own children from a poisonous legacy. Notable examples of those sons that have are Steve Hodell and Gary Stewart. Steve Hodell's father, George Hodell, has been a high-profile suspect for the murder of the Black Dahlia, as well as other women in 1940s Los Angeles. And Gary Stewart believes that his father may have been the Zodiac Killer, who also operated in California. What these men do not have in common with the women mentioned above is that their parent has not been proved to be the killer that they are supposing, and there is more theory here than proof. Both men have talked excessively about their beliefs about their fathers. Hodel has written several books and been in several podcasts, including Root of Evil and Solving the Black Dahlia. Stewart has also written books and is the subject of documentary The Most Dangerous Animal of All. The title is in reference to a quote within one of the Zodiac's letters. When looking at their father's stories, it is undeniable that both men were indeed people you would want to give a wide berth to. Hydell, with his genius-level IQ, had obviously forgone developing emotional intelligence and was accused of raping his daughter repeatedly, fathering his own grandchildren. A backstreet abortionist, he used his trade to blackmail the men who sent their mistresses to him and so had many powerful people in LA in his pocket. It is possible he is linked to more than one murder and it does seem likely that he killed his secretary. The Black Dahlia, whose name was Elizabeth Short, was murdered in 1947 and her body was found on an undeveloped bit of land in Los Angeles. What has made this murder stand out among other unsolved murders of the time, a whole 56 years later, is the brutal ferocity with which Short's life had been killed. Her body was bisected. She had a Glasgow smile, which is when someone's mouth has been slit at the corner in a line that follows parallel to the jaw. There were various other mutilations and during the autopsy, faeces were found in her digestive system. The sheer brutality of what Short had been subjected to both before and possibly after death shocked people then and in our more knowing age is still shocking. Most of us could maybe imagine committing murder if a loved one was about to be injured or killed, but this senseless barbarism is so far removed from anything that can make sense to the ordinary person in the street. It is likely Elizabeth Short will be burned on the conscience of popular culture for generations to come. The Zodiac was not so physically brutal. However, his modus operandi did create terror, killing five victims between 1968 and 1969 in California. He mainly shot young couples, but there are other murders, starting in 1962 and stretching to 1970, which some believe could also be attributed to the Zodiac. The Zodiac, who, like BTK, in a moment of pathetic self-aggrandizement, 
gave himself his own nickname. Like the Black Dahlia, he became seared on the conscious of popular culture. It isn't as easy to parse why the Zodiac has hung around in collective memory as it is with the obvious savage treatment of Elizabeth Short. It may lie somewhere in his choice of victims, young couples, who were doing nothing but enjoying time together. It is such a normal thing to do, but at the same time, when it comes to uncovering shared interests and similarities in worldview, dreams of a possible future, it is a dizzy, heady mix, a precious time which many look back on fondly. Even as an adult, falling in love has the potential to turn your world upside down, but particularly with young people falling in love, the symbolism of hope for the future is at its most potent and not yet tarnished with any of the harsh realities of life. Therefore, it could be said that for the Zodiac to target young lovers, he was in some way targeting, destroying and trying to obliterate the hope for the future of those people's families, communities, state and country. The Zodiac was on some level not just killing people, but killing hope. Perhaps killing a thing that had been taken from him and he couldn't retrieve, so wanted no one else to have it either. Stuart sets out to find his birth parents and in doing so, uncovered a terrible story of a 27-year-old father, Earl Van Best Jr., who'd preyed on his 14-year-old mother, Jude Guilford. The papers at the time called it the ice cream romance, and it was a front-page story, giving a sweet, almost innocent patina to what amounts to statutory rape and abduction in the way only past decades could. Guilford's parents, however, did not see the romance through the rose-coloured glasses of the general public and tried repeatedly to get their daughter back in what must have been a startlingly terrible ordeal. It appears they were the only ones who took what was happening to their daughter seriously. The so-called romance went south after Jude gave birth to Gary Stewart. Van Beth probably in annoyance at the amount of attention Guilford was giving the newborn, one day took him out of their home and gave him up for adoption without Guilford's knowledge. It must have been a terrible and traumatic event for Guilford, on top of a lot of other traumatic events in her young life, and she left Van Best. In his documentary, Stuart details his search for his birth parents, Something many adopted children set out to do, no matter how loving their adopted families are, because humans have a profound need to understand who we are and where we come from. Stuart, of course, finds Guilford and she is able to explain the strange circumstances around his birth and adoption. Stuart still wants to know more about his father, so starts to research Earl Van Best Jr. And the more he finds out, the more disquiet he becomes. Soon Stuart is convinced that his birth father was the Zodiac Killer, and he backs it up in a book which has the same title as the documentary about his search and was co-written with true crime author Susan Mustafa. Stuart and Hodel both have evidence which appears to stretch credibility. 
Stuart that his father lived for some time in Japan and like the Mikado, which was integrated to the Zodiac letters to the police. Hodel that his father had a photograph of a woman who looked a bit like Short. This is not the only evidence, though. There are the Zodiac's coded letters in which Stuart can find his father's name. By the way, I tried and I can also find my name within one of the Zodiac's letters and I have a long name. So if I can do it, most people will be able to do it. There's an example of which on the text of this review, which you can find through the link in the show notes. Stuart is also economical with what other people have told him and stretches information to fit into his theory. Hodel also has his detractors and if you listen to Solving the Black Dahlia, you can hear some of the accusations against him. It is still obvious, however, that both men are not necessarily out and out lying. Telling you something you know is false They really do both believe that their fathers are responsible for some of the most notorious unsolved murders of the 20th century. So if they are not purposefully pulling the wool over our eyes, what exactly is happening here? I suggest that this has something to do with the way that the killers who kill in series, who mutilate and torture, who taunt the police, are the killers that have garnered the most attention. They are the most reviled and hated. They are constructed as being something that looks human but is not quite human. What makes the rest of us human, our empathy, our compassion, our fallibility, is essentially abstract to them. They exist both separately from us but also within our society. They serve the function of the boogeyman who is there to frighten us into good behavior. So why would one put so much energy and time and attention into proving their parent was a serial killer? Having mulled this question over for some time, I suggest that it is because these men fathers feel like killers to them. The brutalization of Elizabeth Short could be a physical manifestation of the way George Hodel's behavior has disfigured his family. For those who listen to Root of All Evil, it is easy to see generation upon generation of Hodel's having been trying to heal and recover from the psychological wounds that man afflicted upon them. Was his rape of his daughter, his incestuous fathering of his own grandchildren, something that is akin in the mind to make somebody literally eat shit, to cutting their head, their brain, their identity away from the lower part of their bodies and their genitals, disrespecting the person so much that they become more than just objectified, but wholly nothing more than an object to be tossed away. That is how George O'Dell treated his daughter, and the rest of the family are living with the consequences. It is also how someone treated Elizabeth Short. What about the Zodiac? As already discussed, he was doing so much to obliterate the future, to put an end to potential and promise. Perhaps that is exactly what Earl Van Best did, first of all with 
manipulation, rape and abduction of Jude Guilford, then by abandoning his son, leaving him to be adopted by strangers and brought up without any knowledge of his birth parents or the mother who obviously had wanted him. Van Best robbed Jude and Stuart of a future they could have both had together. And therefore, he possibly feels to Stuart like he is the Zodiac, who in his crimes became the embodiment of those psychological wounds. While watching The Most Dangerous Animal of All, it is easy to see that Stuart has hurt the people around him, his birth mother, his co-author, the numerous wives who have left because of his obsession. It is also possible to see that Stuart himself is a man who is extremely hurt, who will possibly never give up on the idea that his father is a serial killer, because that is how it feels to him. And what we feel, whether it is factually correct or not, is often what hurt people hold on to as the truth. Neither of these men should be mocked or ridiculed for their obsessions with what they feel are their father's crimes. When a society like ours has so few ways in which men can express, explore and excavate their pain and distress, it is more than likely to mutate and come to the surface dressed up as something different. With both of their fathers dead, Hodel and Stuart are reversing what they did. Their fathers they think physically embodied and did to others the psychological wounds they inflicted on their children. Now their children are trying to inflict a psychological wound on their fathers. You can't wound someone psychologically who is dead though. All you can do is try to ruin their reputation, drag their name through the mud, make it a byword for the worst of humanity. What in essence they are doing is cutting off their father's cocks and throwing them to the wind. It remains to be seen what mythological children will emerge from the blood and sperm this time. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.